Welcome to the Two Journeys podcast. This is episode 27 in the book of John entitled, Jesus Washes Feet, where we discuss John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. I'm Wes Treadway, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses that we're looking at today? Oh, this is one of the great examples of Jesus Christ as our servant savior. Uh, Jesus is the suffering servant in Isaiah, uh, the songs in Isaiah, Isaiah 53. And here he's literally down, it seems, on his, on, his, on his knees and maybe on his hands, washing the feet, the dirty feet of his disciples. And he attaches spiritual significance to it when he says to Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And, and then the interpretation he gives of the washing of the feet um, as opposed to the washing of the, of the whole body. And so fundamentally, we're going to see a beautiful picture of our salvation, but also of a servant heart as a role model, as, as Jesus says, as I have done for you. I've washed your feet, so you must wash one another's feet. So there's a picture of the serving love we should have for one another. Absolutely. Well, I'm looking forward to discussing this passage, and so that we can uh, have a sense of where we're at in John chapter 13, let me go ahead and read verses 1 through 17. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Andy, this is an amazing passage, looking at Jesus as you described him briefly at the beginning in this passage that we're looking at. We arrive here before the feast of the Passover in the book of John, and our passage opens by telling us that Jesus knew that his hour had come. What do we learn here about the nature of Jesus' death, and how did Jesus know that it was his time to die? Yeah, everything had been worked out before the foundation of the world on a very meticulous timetable. For example, we have in Galatians, we're told that Jesus was born of a virgin in the fullness of time. So he was born at just the right time. Uh, and so even in his own life, which was very brief, um, he was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. And New Testament scholars put the length of his public ministry at around three years by the cycle of, frankly, the cycle of Passover feast. So this is, uh, the, this is the final Passover. So as they measure the cycle of, of of Passovers, they roughly see his ministry, public ministry, at about three years. 
everything was timed out. And we're going to see that even when it comes to the crucifixion. Jesus died at just the right moment. Mm -hmm. If he had died uh, a little bit later, they would have shattered his legs. Uh, so even in terms of the laying down of his life, everything was on a timetable. And so Jesus knew now at last the hour had come for him to die. The time had come for him to leave this world. So again, we see the supernatural knowledge of Jesus. He, he's going to be on the cross and John will write it this way, Jesus, knowing that all things had now been accomplished in order that the scriptures might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. So there's this intentionality and this supernatural knowledge of timetable that Jesus, the second uh, person of the Trinity, seems to have, even in his humanity, mm. uh, the timing has come for him to die. Well, John writes, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. In what ways did Jesus love his own who were in the world? And in what ways did he love them to the end. Well, he loved his disciples in some amazing ways. I mean, he, he healed them, he forgave their sins, uh, he taught them many things, fed the 5,000. He just loved them in lavish ways. And he loved his own in the world and gave them that. But those things, all of them, are just foretastes of the heavenly joy and the heavenly glory that he's going to be pouring out on his disciples. So those were just the beginning of the ways that he loved them. But now he really has to love them to the end or to the uttermost. And that really ultimately has to do with the cross. He is going to love them to the point of dying for them. So he's going to go to the nth degree. Now the, this foot washing is also a symbol of the length to which he will go to love us. How did Jesus' knowledge of the power of God, the power that God had given him, as well as his own imminent return to the Father, enable him to wash their feet? You know, you're looking at verse 3, and it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under him. Um, and so here's the thing. He knew that he had come from God, was going back to God. He knew the timetable. He knew who he was. And uh, I think it's so amazing how we can, I think, serve our brothers and sisters. When we get to the end of this passage, he's going to tell us to, to wash one another's feet as he has washed our feet. So a, a sober-minded, believing reflection of our position in Christ and our, our future destiny. So we, it could be said of us that we know that we are adopted sons or daughters of the living God, that all our sins are forgiven, that we have everything that we need for life and godliness, that we're going to a glorious world where there'll be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain. Knowing all this, we're free to serve. So it doesn't matter how low our situation is as a result of our choice to serve. It doesn't matter how difficult our life would be. You could imagine missionaries to Calcutta or to other difficult places that are suffering greatly in the world. Just knowing that you've come from God to that place and that you're going back to God ultimately, not in the incarnation sense, but in the sense of, of having been sent on mission. Jesus said at the end of this book, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. We've been sent from Christ and we're gonna go back to Christ we can serve. And, and we're just liberated. We're set free. So this, this statement in verse 3 gives Jesus' mentality as he serves. And I think the author John, the apostle John, is commending that same mentality to us. Think of who you are. Think of where you're going. Think of all the blessings you have and then get up and serve. Mm. And Andy, you've talked frequently about just that idea of meditating on our eternal inheritance and how that can motivate us to sacrificial service to others just as Jesus says here, right? As I've done to you, now do this to others. We even talked recently about the idea of thinking about rewards, what, what it will look like one day 
to receive that commendation, having followed in Jesus' footsteps of humble service to the glory of God. I also want to contend uh, or, or commend the mentality of Christian contentment. Uh, the fundamental uh, base of Christian contentment is everything I need has been given me in Christ. I have everything I need. I am God sufficient. Therefore, I can be content in patterns of, of lowly service. You don't have to be noticed. You don't have to be thanked. You don't have to be rewarded or repaid in this world. You don't need anything. Just serve. And I think the more we meditate on that, the more liberated we'll be. That's an incredibly freeing idea. And I think it's evidenced in Jesus' actions here because they're quite shocking considering the customs of the day. And even today, Washing one another's feet or another person's feet is not typically on the top of most of our to-do lists for the day. So how did Peter oppose Jesus' actions when he, he took this step? And what do you think were Peter's reasons here? Well, Peter is shocked, and Peter's going to say some shocking things here. I want to I want to take a minute, just if I could, and talk a little about Jesus' garments. Um, John makes a lot about his clothing. And I think there is, there's some physical symbolism here, and we're gonna see it later in the resurrection as well. There's an angel at where Jesus' head had been and where his feet were. Why does John tell us that? And we'll, we'll get to that. I'll give you a little foretaste of that. It has to do with his position as the atoning sacrifice. So John makes much of the angelic position. I think in the same way in this chapter, he makes much of the garments. Uh, Jesus get up, gets up from his place, takes off his outer robes, mm. and gets down and serves. And then when he's done, he gets back up in his original place, puts on his robes, and sits down. That has got to be a picture of the incarnation in Philippians 2. Jesus being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something that he grasped, but made himself nothing, took off the outer trappings and garments of glory and served, and then put them all back on again. And, and he's going to say in John 17, Father, the glory I had with you before the foundation of the world, I want it back. Mm -hmm. He wants his glory back, and so he's going to get it. He has the right to have the Father's glory as God. But here, this, the garments, I think, is a symbol, a symbol of his incarnation humility. And it, it fits the passage perfectly. Now, concerning Peter, he doesn't want Jesus washing his feet. Uh, it's it's shameful. It's like you know I don't want you down here. It's it's embarrassing. It's difficult, and and he, it, it's really quite remarkable actually. Peter, Peter, Peter's a piece of work. He really is. So um, Peter is not the first to get his foot feet washed. He he Jesus has already begun doing it. So I would imagine Peter might be the fifth or sixth, something like that. And he comes to Peter and he's preparing. He's like, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? which is one of the all-time dumb questions. It's like, no, I'm going to skip you, Peter. I'm going to do everyone but you. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, but he's like, Lord, are you about to wash my feet? He wants him to stop. He, he wants him to stop. Um, and so he, try, he, he, and he actually goes so far in verse 8 as to say, you shall never wash my feet. So we'll get to that in a moment because it's just so Peter. But he is very, it's very awkward and difficult. Uh, one, one thought I had, this was some time ago. Uh, I was at a wedding and the... The couple decided that the bride, uh, after I think after the vows, but before the service was over, would sit down and the groom would come and wash her feet. But I had to laugh to myself, not during the ceremony, I kept the perfect decorum, but I thought her feet have got to be the cleanest they've ever been in, in, in her life. If I'm her, I'm going to get those feet as clean as ever I possibly can. And they probably had you know, pedicure, everything. They were glistening and still he washed them. So it was all symbolic, I get it. But Peter didn't have the chance to prepare his feet. They were nasty, dirty. Yeah. And he did not want anybody touching his nasty, dirty feet. <laughs> yeah. I can only imagine, you think about all of the times we, we read of 
of Jesus and the disciples walking. You just imagine oh. the context in which they're walking. This this was a, a dirty, menial task. And so it, it would, to some degree, make sense that Peter would look at this and say, Jesus, this is, this is beneath you. Why, right. why would you do this? And from my understanding of their culture back then, nobody would have done this. They would have provided you with your own basin and towel to wash, you know, wash your own feet. Jesus wouldn't, you know, no servant would, he's like, wash my feet. It's like, that's just not thought of. Mm -hmm. um, Michael Card has a song called The Basin and, and the Towel as a, as a community servanthood. And he has a beautiful statement in, in uh, that song. He said, when one will kneel and one will yield, and it's, you really have to yield to let someone serve you. Think of what it feels like when you're sick mm -hmm. and you can't do anything for yourself. And uh, a loved one, maybe a spouse or somebody comes and serves you and, and you don't want them to do that. You don't want them to serve you because there's pride involved. And I think Peter's showing some pride here. He, do, he doesn't want to be served in this way. Yeah, yeah. And following on Peter's kind of hesitancy to have Jesus do this, how did Jesus answer Peter and why did... Peter and the disciples not understand what Jesus was doing here. Yeah, I mean, he says it straight out. You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. And uh, it's very important to understand how the Holy Spirit worked in John to write this account. We'll get to that when he talks about Judas in just a moment. But, um, you know, they had no idea what was going on. They didn't see this coming. And if you put all the synoptics together, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, if you put all the data together, it seems they were bickering about which one of them was the greatest hmm. before this. Right here. Hmm. And so Jesus shows them who the greatest is. He is. <laughs> and it's just like he had said earlier, you want to be great? Be a servant or a slave. So I'll show you who the greatest, that position is taken. Like Philippians said, the Lord ele elevated him to the highest place because he was the greatest servant. But he also was teaching them a principle. And so fundamentally, they did not get it. It was something Jesus registered in their minds in space and time, and later the interpretation would come, just like many of the other things, like the cleansing of the temple. They didn't get it, but later they understood. And I think that's a question that may come up in a lot of our minds when we read something like this, these phrases like they didn't understand or they couldn't understand, and then we think, well, Jesus, if they can't understand, why would you do this? So why, why would Jesus do that? You just alluded to it, I think, but, but why would Jesus do something that he knew they weren't going to understand at this moment? He registered it in space and time. It happened in history. History matters. So it matters that it actually occurred, and then it matters that they later remembered. Mm. So it was not like the Holy Spirit created a false reality a visionary reality of something that never happened. Um, he can do that. He can show symbolic uh, things and, and other, other aspects. But he showed them in their memory a perfect record of what actually happened. Do you remember when Jesus washed your feet? Of course I remember. Let me explain to you the significance, the fuller significance of that. And Jesus knew that would come. And it was interesting, too, where he just is willing to entrust, and he's about to talk at length about the counselor of the Holy Spirit. So the greatest teaching on the third person of the Trinity in the Bible is about to come to us in John's gospel. So he's able to just delegate that to the third person of the Trinity. Holy Spirit make this clear. Meanwhile, I'm just gonna do it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you will have help. You will be able to understand, but not now. Not now, now I'm just gonna do the washing later, you'll get it. And honestly, that comes right to the cross. Jesus affected the atonement long before they fully understood it. Mm. None of the disciples understood the atonement while it was happening, but later they understood. The shedding of the blood was for the forgiveness of their sins. And they got it fully by the time they were dead and long before that. They understood. But my guess is in the 40 days after his resurrection, before his ascension, he made the blood atonement extremely clear to them. They got it, they got it then. Anyway. 
Well, and you mentioned a moment ago Peter's responses. They're, yes. they're typical Peter, we might say, typical as Peter. we see Peter in the Gospels. But Peter's response here is also extremely strong, saying, you shall never wash my feet. Yes, into eternity, the Greek says. So that's how huh. we get translated. Yeah, into, into the, the ages future that, like, ages. Yeah. This will not happen. Which is so ironic, because literally seconds later, it's happening. So, so much for <laughs> Peter. Like, no, I will wash what's, your feet. What's interesting here is the dynamic between Jesus and Peter. It's, it's almost like a loving battle of wills and no one gets the final word on Jesus. You can go back and forth, he'll get the final word. He's already figured this all out. We can, we can talk about the back and forth, but there's a battle of wills. But let's talk, let's talk about Peter. Some time ago, uh, the Lord showed me the four nevers in Peter. There are four times that, that in the NIV translation, uh, NIV 84, which is what I, I've studied and memorized, and four times in that translation, Peter says never to, to Jesus or to the Lord. Okay. The first was at Caesarea Philippi when he rebuked Jesus about his own death. This will never happen to you. Imagine rebuking Jesus. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Then twice on this night, he said he would never deny Jesus, even though Jesus said he would. And he said, you will never wash my feet. And then after the, uh, the day of Pentecost, well into ministry, when, when the Lord showed a, a sheet of unclean animals let down from heaven right before he went to preach the gospel to the Gentile Cornelius. He said, I've never eaten anything impure and clean. That's four nevers. So Peter has a strong will, let's put it that way. So, and that was part of his makeup. That was part of what made him a leader. But um, you, don't, you don't say never to God. <laughs> yeah, and what a beautiful thing that, that Jesus answers him. I think that's every time you see, and, and sometimes with equal greater strength than than the rebuke that you know never will this happen and he says get behind me satan that's a strong it's a rebuke. strong rebuke but what a what an amazing picture of jesus continued patience with peter i think of the times i've probably said some foolish things to the lord whether in prayer or just in my attitudes yeah. and the lord's patience is on display there. it is and look how he answers him um you shall never wash my feet and this trumps that this is the trump card unless i wash you you have no part with me. You cannot go to heaven. You cannot be with me. It's almost like the born again statement. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven or enter the kingdom of heaven. All right, Peter, if I don't wash you, you can't be with me. So that shuts that down. I, you know, then, then wash me. But then Peter tries to, to say, well, I've got an even better idea. No, you don't have a better idea. <laughs> wash everything. Wash my All head and my hands. Yeah. Everything. Mm. So Well, as we look at this passage, I think another question that would arise then is, surely Jesus isn't saying, if I don't wash your feet. Right. Is he talking about something else here? How yes. is this atonement language, and what is Jesus actually saying to his disciples and, and to us? Okay, so the, the washing of the feet is symbolic. Um, he could have been fine eating a meal with them, with them all of them having dirty feet. So he's doing a symbolic action. <clears throat> and, you know, just like the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper itself was symbolic. Um, and so um, he wants them to know that he must cleanse them from their sins. As Titus says in Titus 3.5, by the washing of regeneration and renewal through the Holy Spirit. Jesus washes us 
with water through the word. It says in Ephesians 5, he washes us by his blood. We are washed in the blood. It says that in Revelation 7 that they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. So this washing analogy has to do with sin, has to do with the purification for sin. Again, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will uh, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us or purify us from all unrighteousness. So this is the cleansing language. But he goes into detail here. When Peter says, not just my feet, but my head and my hands as well, Jesus doesn't accept that either. He said, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean. Now that's one of the greatest statements that has ever been made by Jesus to any person. Peter is already clean because of the word that he has spoken, because of the gospel, because of faith in Christ. The faith in Christ, uh, you know, faith in Christ makes you completely clean in the sight of God. This is justification, imputed righteousness. In the righteousness of Christ, we stand. Then why do we have to wash our feet? Well, the feet, I think, represents our ongoing sinfulness after justification. As we walk along the road of life, we're going to dirty our feet. And so he has to continue to cleanse us. And so that goes to 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins as already justified sinners, he is faithful and just, just, uh, God is faithful and just. It, it is right for him to forgive based on the atonement, based on our faith in Christ and to purify us from all unrighteousness. So there's this ongoing purification. Also, um, I think Romans 5 speaks to this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and access by faith, listen to this, into this grace in which we stand. Mm -hmm. So that I've always thought of that as a shower of grace. And impurities, dirt comes out of our pores and gets washed away. And more comes out and it gets washed away. So we are for the rest of our lives in a shower of grace. So that's not quite exactly Jesus' image here, head and the hands, etc. But I still like it. The idea is there's a need for an ongoing cleansing once we've already been cleansed through faith in Christ. And it's a beautiful picture of the spiritual cleansing that all must experience. So in verse 12 then, following on the heels of this back and forth between Peter and Jesus, why does Jesus ask about their understanding when he already said Peter didn't understand in verse 7? And why is it so important that they understand the foot washing? Okay, that's fantastically important. I want to talk a little about Judas for just a moment. Sorry about that. Um, but it's interesting, and it, and it fits with the question you've asked me. They didn't understand the symbolism, and they didn't know what Jesus meant when he said, though not all of you. So he's clearly meaning Judas, and John didn't understand that that night because a few verses later, none of them are going to know who's going to betray him. Who is it, Lord? John didn't know. He said, you know, who is it, Lord? He doesn't know. No one knows who's going to betray. But when John wrote these words, he knew. And so there's a later understanding. He knew, Jesus knew, who was going to betray him, but no one else in the room did, mm -hmm. except Judas, I guess, at that point. That's why he said not everyone. Now, when he puts back on his clothes, Jesus, and goes back to his place, he opens up the topic, do you understand? He knows they don't understand, but he wants to talk about it. Um, do you understand what I've done for you? And he opens up this symbolism. And he begins by talking about his status. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. I can't help but think about Philippians 2 with that, the humility of Jesus and how it translates to how we should treat one another. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Have this mind in you, which was in Christ Jesus. You should wash each other's feet. 
Why? It's a how much more argument. If the, the second person of the Trinity, the Lord and Savior, the Master, the King of all creation has done this, this is the ultimate servant leadership, servant Lord. He is the King and by washing our feet, by dying on the cross, he hasn't lost any of his authority. So for me, as a, let's say as a husband, if I am humbly serving my wife, I haven't lost any position of leadership in the family. I've actually gained. If I do the same for my children, if I serve my children, I'm still the head of the house. And also we notice in this, Jesus isn't squeamish about his position. He's not, well, you know, I'm willing to be Lord if you want me. No, he's, he's I am. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. Right. That is who I am. Mm -hmm. So there's no squeamishness about authority. He, he wields his authority, but look how he wields it. He wields it as a servant. He wields it as one who loves our souls. It's so beautiful. It is beautiful. And you mentioned just a moment ago, really, it seems like verses 15 through 17 of this passage particularly are, are the application, right? Yeah. Jesus is applying this for them. And I think for us, there's some, some principles to take away as well. You mentioned as a husband, as a father, are there other ways that we can think about this in relation to how we show love and honor to one another, imitate sure. Jesus? Absolutely. I, I think if the dirt on the feet represents sin, one of the ways that we can wash one another's feet is by forgiveness, by just being being openly, graciously forgiving, that we should forgive one another, as the scripture says, from the heart. Uh, I think about a, a beautiful example. This is Joseph with his brothers after Jacob, Jacob has died. And he allays their concerns and their fears. And, and he says, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. And what I love after that is it says, and he spoke kindly to them. Mm. I mean, there's a genuine warmth to Joseph there. He's so beyond vindictiveness. So we watch, wash each other's feet by forgiving each other when we, when we need to. But we also wash each other's feet when we serve one another. Um, it could be, uh, I remember the account of the pilgrims in Plymouth Plantation. William Bradford to talked about at, at any one time only one third of their community was healthy enough to do anything and they spent their time caring for the sick. And I'll never forget this phrase, washing their loathsome clothing. Mm -hmm. And you think about vomit. Honestly, you think about about fouling yourself and someone coming along, taking your clothes. And this is, this is before running water, plumbing, whatever. They went and broke through the ice in the stream and got some water and put it in a big iron kettle and kindled a fire and boiled it and put the loathsome clothes in the pot, stirred them. I mean, the, and then they're freezing in the freezing weather in January or whatever. And they're, they're needed. I mean, just the labor of getting these folks back into clean clothes again, only to have them soil them again next time they got sick. What a, a picture of servanthood. And so there's so many ways we can serve one another. So just even small things. You know, somebody's got their arms full and something drops out of their arm, you bend down, pick it up, you just, the servant heart. So. I love that. And the passage really ends on a note that reminds me of the book of James. It says, if, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Uh, why is this a fitting, kind of close to this scene of Jesus washing the disciples' feet? Well, yeah, uh, it's not enough to know God's word. We have to do it. We can't be, as you said with James, not merely hearers of the word and so deceive ourselves. We have to do it. But it also shows in my book, Infinite Journey, how knowledge precedes action. 
Uh, it precedes faith and, and character as well. But we go from knowledge through faith into character and then action. So you can't just act. If you don't know what to do, you, you, you need to read God's word. And as you read it, you find this servanthood pattern and then you do it. So now that you know it, so you have to know it first, but we do know it now. You listen to this podcast or you read the scripture, now you know what to do. You have to do it and you'll be blessed if you do it. I love that the blessing is there for obedience. Any final thoughts on this passage, Andy? Uh, just the need to put it in practice. You know, I'm a married man, so are you. We can begin with our wives. Uh, we can, do, if you're a wife, um, begin with your husband. Begin with our children. They they are so needy. Let's serve one another, and then extend it out to the Christian family, and then to the world. Let's let's do what Jesus did for us. Let's do for one another. Well, this has been episode 27 in the book of John. Please join us next time for episode 28, entitled "Predictions: Betrayal and Denial." where we'll discuss John chapter 13, verses 18 through 38. Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.